0: What's this? Oh, seems strangely familiar. Is it yours, Joe? Flute? <laughs> no. Well, properly speaking, it's a recorder. Thank you. <gasps> I was wondering where that had got to.
1: <whistles>
0: you haven't been trying to play this, have you? Oh! I can see you've been doing the TARDIS up a bit.
1: Hmm,
0: I don't like it. Oh, my word! Dear, we are in trouble, aren't we? Just as when I turned up.
2: Hello, and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with.
1: Hello, I'm Scott.
2: (laughs) Yes, hello Scott. And today we are looking back at an interesting part of Doctor Who. We are looking at the opening to season 10, the 10th anniversary, and the three Doctors. You know, it is uh, coming up to the 50th anniversary of the 10th anniversary very soon, uh, which is just a very fun sentence to say. So we decided, fuck it, let's look at this interesting first multi-Doctor story.
1: And it's a very odd experience watching this again cuz last time I watched it was when I was a kid and I remember it being bit shit Mm. I think I think this time I enjoyed it more. I can't wait to get into it.
2: I had a, I had a fun romp with it. I would only ever seen clips from YouTube, specifically like the William Hartnell like on the TV screen, being like I am old and dying. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> like the, uh, I, the I've had I've had a fun romp watching it. But this episode uh, first aired on December thirtieth, nineteen seventy two, uh, which was forty nine years, ten months, and ten days ago at the time of recording. Very quickly approaching the 50th anniversary of this 10th anniversary and it aired on a saturday uh at the time the u.s president was of course richard nixon with the prime minister being one edward heath could you guess as to the number one movie at the box office at the end of 1972 this would be impressive
1: 1970 it's probably some boring old drama right <laughs> It is, it, is, it is old. It is not a drama. It is actually The Poseidon
2: Adventure, uh, which is a 1972 American disaster movie directed by Ronald Name, produced by Irwin Allen, and based on Paul Gialado's 1969 novel of the same name. It's got an ensemble cast, including five Oscar winners with Gene Hackman, Ernest Bro- Brogine, Jack Albertson, Shelley Winters, and Red Buttons, which is an incredible name. The plot centers <laughs> on the fictional SS Poseidon an aging luxury liner on her final voyage from New York City to Athens before it is scrapped on New Year's Day. It is overturned by a tsunami. Passengers and crew are trapped inside, and a preacher's attempt to lead a small group of survivors to safety. Uh, it sounds pretty fun. It's probably very dated for you know a 1972 disaster film, but it is one that I have heard of as like a very fun like classic. It's got a very good poster.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of it, but it makes sense. It was released around New Year's. At yeah, because it's uh, around sat... New Year's. It's, yeah. it's a perfect. Yeah, it's perfect.
2: Yeah. Uh, On this day in 1972, the US President Richard Nixon halted bombing of North Vietnam and announced peace talks. This is where Vietnam won the war against America. Uh, Vietnam War, the United States halts heavy bombing in North Vietnam. Uh, I just repeated the same thing twice there. Very cool. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, uh, this is the day, basically, where America was like, hey, we might have lost this war in Vietnam. Whoops, a war that we really shouldn't have been involved in? Anyway... Uh, but if we turn our eye back to history to see what was going on on December 30th throughout the world. Uh, in 1731, the first ever U.S. M- music concert uh, is played and held uh, by Peter Pelham's Great Room in Boston. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, in 1922, the creation of the USSR formally proclaimed in Moscow from the Bolshoi Theater, Soviet Union organized as a federation of RSF... R SFSR, Ukrainian SSR, Belarusian SSR, and Trans oh god, Transcaucasian trans- SSR. Uh basically big USSR Soviet superpower formed uh in December 30th, nineteen twenty two, and I'm sure everything was totally chill with them. Since uh, in 1924, astronomer Edwin Hubble formally announces existence of un- of other galaxy systems at a meeting of the American Astronomical Society. Edward Hubble, famously named after a telescope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I t- also it was wild. It was wild researching this. That less than a hundred years ago, we discovered that there were other galaxies. Uh, just thinking about like how far we've come from from that. You know, like 98 yeah. years ago, we were like, holy shit, there's other galaxies. And now we're, like, just sending people up to space every now and then just for the fucking shits and giggles, you know? Yeah,
1: it's, it's incredible just how technology itself is just... Thingy, just it's ridiculous dramatically yeah. improved since then. it's like yeah now we're in the metaverse holy shit we never <laughs> <seen this> coming <laughs>
2: no one's in the metaverse in 1939 <laughs> of mice and men starring bougie's mirror and uh, as george and lon chenny jr as lenny is released uh not a film i've ever seen it's a
1: book i vaguely have read in school i think uh yeah you, you uh, ever i don't I, d- I don't know anything about it i just presume it's about mice and men <laughs> it is yeah it is
2: definitely <laughs> Uh, In 1941, in an emotional speech to the Canadian Parliament, Winston Churchill states that Britain will never surrender to Hitler and his Nazi gang and that they have asked for total war. Let us make sure they get it. Afterwards, Joseph Karish captures his famous photograph called The Roaring Lion, which is basically every photo of Winston Churchill you'll ever see, where he's kind of just yeah. standing there looking grumpy. Uh, but very famous speech happened on this day in 1941. And then finally, in 1959, ending with a really piece of fantastic news, George Washington, the first ever ballistic missile submarine, is commissioned. And the whole world shuddered. Uh <laughs> uh that is all that i have got on the on this day segment for december 30th 1972scott why don't you take us in to a bit of the behind the scenes for this episode
1: yeah so the writers of the three doctors are bob baker and dave martinville we've already spoken about them in behind the Hand of fear if you remember that classic oh what a, <laughs> what a fantastic episode that was. Uh, basically, Sarah Jane just walks around. Walks a around a nuclear power, power plant. Plan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was it was so good, and we also spoke about a bit about Bob's individual career in our Australian K nine episodes. Which yes, we, I, I I still had fun with that episode. <laughs> it was it was a fun a fun little look into something very <laughs> strange. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but this time around, we're talking about Terence Dix himself, a big guy who was the script editor throughout this entire John Pertwee run. Uh, his career actually started in 1962 when Malcolm Hulk, who he had rented a room from, asked to help him with a script in, with the Avengers episode, and he wound up co-writing five episodes of the Avengers with Malcolm Hulk. And we, of course, t- spoke about Malcolm Hulk in the other classic, mm-hmm. The Sea Devils. Yep, what another <laughs> phenomenal episode. Just so good. And then also before Doctor Who, Terrence Dix wrote se- several episodes of Crossroads, which was a soap opera which has kind of been lost to time. I don't hear anyone speaking about Crossroads. No. no. Nope. Apart from um, Nicholas Briggs over at Big, Big Finish. I presume <laughs> he wants to do a Crossroads revival at some point. He probably
2: watches it every
1: day. Like, he's, he loves it. <laughs> um, in 1962, uh, sorry, 1968, he was hired as an assistant script editor on Doctor Who, and got promoted to head script editor the following year. Uh, He and Malcolm Hulk wrote the massive 10-part final to Troughton's Run, the War Games, and if you know the story behind that, basically there were two scripts that couldn't be filmed, so there was a six-parter and a four-parter, and uh, just scripting issues happened, and they decided to do a big 10-part epic instead, and they wrote that in, like, a month, which is insane to think about.
2: Yeah, that's, that's... That's a lot to do in, in not a lot yes. of time. Um,
1: and then Dick served as the script editor for all five seasons of Perthry's run between 1970 and 1974. And he formed a very close bond with producer Barry Letts. Uh, between seasons 10 and 11, the even created her own sci-fi series, Moonbase 3. However, it was a complete failure. And uh, just big finish spin-off when. I, I imagine Big Finish will do a, a spin off eventually of this.
2: <laughs> they love doing them. They love, it's, you know, Big Finish loves you know, doing spin offs of things that yeah, you just don't know about.
1: Yeah, they do. Blake 7, which was created yeah. by Terry Nation. Why not do Moonbase 3? Why not? <laughs> that nobody's heard of. <laughs> yep. Uh, during the time of his show, he oversaw many additions to the show's lore, including the introduction of the Time Lords, the name Gallifrey the creation of Liz Shaw, Joe Grant, and Sarah Jane, the term Regenerations, sontarins a lot of lore about the TARDIS, including that it may be, may be sentient, Ooh. and of course, he introduced multi-doctor stories. So without him, really, the show's lore would be so different. Very different, yeah, very
2: different, for sure.
1: Those are some major, especially
2: things that carried over into Modern Who, those are some major elements that are in Modern Who, for sure.
1: Like, I was just watching The Edge of Destruction the other day, and basically the whole thing was, oh yeah, th- th- the TARDIS can't think for itself, so it's just a- it's just a machine that thinks the way machines think, and that was the premise of the TARDIS before Terry Dix decided, yeah, of course the TARDIS would be sentient, it's an alien device, why not? Yeah. And then it and then, you know, flash forward 50 years, it turned into a woman, and it was yeah. uh, a very good episode, I love the episode. Um, After after leaving the role of script editor, he continued writing further episodes such as Robot, The Brain of Morbius, It's (laughs) Morbentime, Horror of Fang Rock, The State of Decay, and of course, finishing off on The Five Doctors, which of course is another multi-doctor storyline with... Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, only three surviving doctors. Oh, <laughs> Patrick and in- John Pertwee, and um, Peter Davison, because Tom Baker didn't want to do it, and William Hartnell was, of course, in the grave. So, Interesting. <laughs> that was a bold, bold choice to call it the five doctors. So, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, this this episode we're covering today is essentially the two doctors, because only two yeah. doctors are in the same room, and the five doctors only had three doctors. It's very Incredible. funny how that works out. Incredible.
2: Incredible. <laughs>
1: Uh, he also worked on two stage plays, uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks in The Seven Keys to Doomsday, which was uh, out in 1974, and of course Doctor Who The Ultimate Adventure in uh, 1989, which had Colin Baker and John Pertwee in the role of a Doctor. Sometimes John Pertwee would play it, sometimes Colin Baker would play it, yeah. which would have been very interesting to watch. Yeah, it sounds funky. Uh, between 1981 and 19. 19- Eighty-eight. Terry once again worked with producer Barry Letts as a script editor on 134 episodes of the classic serial, which serialized great literature such as Alice in Wonderland, Oliver Twist, and The Invisible Man. Uh, Barry Letts left the series in 1985 and gave a position of producer to Terence Dix, who went on to be producer until 1988, which is, yeah, 134 episodes, which is... Yeah, he's a busy That's, man. Yeah, that is a lot of episodes. That is a... a- he's a he's a busy boy indeed and you know during this time he also uh, was heavily involved still with the universe writing 67 target novelizations between 1974 and 1990 Jesus and he was christ. even the uno- he was also the unofficial editor of the range so 67 books in about 16 years that's a that's, <laughs> a that's an incredible amount of books my christ and you know his name would be attached to like a lot of people's memories about doctor who because during this time, obviously there were no videotapes of existing mm-hmm. stories, so instead we would have to go to bookshelves and oh, where's Terrence Dick's name right in front of the cover, so he's so he's probably associated with a lot of childhood memories of Doctor Who. Uh, once Target dissolves were arranged, he began wor- working for Virgin Books, uh, often a bit more sporadically as he was creating new stories instead of adapting previous stories. He wound up writing stories with the 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th Doctor. So yeah, he wrote for a lot of Doctors. Yeah, (laughs) this this is a man that
2: really enjoyed writing Doctor Who. (laughs) Uh,
1: He even wrote the first 8th Doctor book, which was set straight after the film. Uh, Basically, straight after the film, the Doctor is finally reading that book he wanted to read, The Time Traveller. And he winds up in 1997, Totter's Lane... And he gets caught up in between a conflict between a drug lord and a, a <laughs> woman, and and he winds up being uh, imprisoned because he possesses drugs. Right. Okay. That's uh, a, ter- a Terrence That's a Terence Dicks book starring Eighth Doctor. It is a. It sounds like an odd story. It sounds funky. It sounds funky. Uh, he, he would later write a couple of Tenth Doctor novels with BBC Books in two thousand and seven. He would write one with um, Martha Jones. Meeting with Jadun again, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, while writing all his books and writing all of his episodes of TV, he also found time to write 140 of his own novels between 1974 and 2003. Most of these being, like, children novels, but still. Yeah, Jesus still, Christ. It's like, that's almost like Stephen King, <laughs> Stephen King levels of writing up books, isn't it? That's insane. Yeah, he, he is an insane... He had an insane workload. Like, just so many books and so many episodes of TV just... I can't imagine doing that.
2: No, would be yeah. That's that's a lot of writing all the time. Uh,
1: yeah, some of his other works include a few direct video Doctor Who spin-offs in the nineties, with Shakedown, Return of the and Mind Game. He also wrote the first episode of a Sarah Jane Smith spin-off in two thousand two from Big Finish. Oh. Uh, he retired in the late 2000s, although he still liked to write the occasional story, with his final Doctor Who short story being published in uh, October 2019, just a few months after he passed away at the age of 84. Damn. But his final short story was, funnily enough, set in, set in between episodes of The War Games, which was his first ever story, so it comes full circle. That's and he nice. also confirms... In that short story, he also confirms his season 6 B-theory, which is very interesting. We'll mm. talk about it a bit more later on. Ooh, teaser. Oh yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's Terrence Sticks for you. And this episode, the idea of bringing the three doctors together was bowing pres- was bowing to pressure, according to Barry Letts, who was the producer. He said there was hardly a week that went by without people suggesting this idea. Terrence Dicks and Barry Letts uh, constantly refused to do this. They thought the idea was stupid. Was as stupid as having the Daleks and Cybermen fight each other. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they kind of ran out of ideas. They wanted to do gimmicks for, at the opening of every season. And we were mm. like, yeah, it's the 10th season. It's the perfect time to introduce yeah. a, a multi-doctor storyline. And it obviously stuck around because every anniversary now you expect a multi-doctor storyline
2: yeah and they're always they are always fun you know we've heard a lot of for and against doctor, multi-doctor storylines very recently with you know the build-up to the 60th anniversary most famously eccleston being very much against uh multi-doctor stories but uh i've i've always got a soft spot for a multi-doctor story it just kind of makes me happy to see oh look it's my favorite doctors and they're like poking fun at each other this is nice
1: yeah it, it's extreme fan service but it's mm-hmm. also just so much fun to watch It's it's good fan service yeah yeah. Silly, silly, inconsequential fun. Uh, so they couldn't commission the script until they knew the two actors. Sorry, the two other actors were available because obviously we still had John Pertwee in the role. Mm. Uh, Barry Letts' first call was to Patrick. Uh, I almost called him Patrick Stewart for some reason. <laughs> His first call was to Patrick Troughton, who he had known since they co-starred in a live BBC production in which Patrick played Guy Fox and Barry played a conspirator. Uh, Patrick said he'd be li- he'd be delighted to do it, which came as a surprise because Patrick publicly stated he had a fear of being typecast in a role and wouldn't want to come back. Mm. So yeah, he like three years later he's back on board, which is very interesting.
2: Sometimes you just need that break, I
1: guess, you know. And of course, uh, Patrick Trouton would go on to make two more guest appearances in nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty five, which one of them we're covering next year in Ooh, June. Very and fun. Very excited to watch two doctors. Uh, Van Barry Letts phoned Hartnell. And he thought it was uh, Hartnell. Thought it was a lovely idea, despite saying the year prior that he disliked the path that Doctor Who took, as it was no longer a program for children. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We discussed his feelings about how dark Doctor uh, Doctor Who became during the tenth planet podcast last mm-hmm. month. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. part of the reason why he kind of left, but even for mostly due to the ill health, but also he, he was just became difficult to work with, and he was like, I don't want Doctor Who to be this dark. Yeah, yeah I, which, you know, we, we talked about this
2: on the, the 10th Planet uh, episode as well, you know, where everybody involved in the show at that point was completely different than when Hartnell had started the show and it just naturally evolved into something and he was just kind of like this leftover from the past er- the past fucking like guard that were in charge and it really had yeah. made sense for him to leave when he did um, and yeah. the show the show got better after he left
1: it did <laughs> yes I think I think it did yes because his era is fun to watch but also very different it's very different
2: yeah it's very different from every other era
1: so yeah, they commissioned Bob Baker and Dave Martin to write a story where a threat was so grave that it causes the three Doctors to unite. Uh, the duo started by incorporating their pitch into an idea they were working on independently. Uh, the original idea was called Death World and took, pa- took place outside time in Hades, where the King of the Time Lords chooses the three Doctors to take part in a trial where, are they-, where they are fighting for control of the universe. <laughs> against the minions of death itself. Uh, the entrance to the world would be a graveyard. Uh, the trial element was accepted, but the graveyard element was dropped for obvious reasons. Way too dark for a kid's program on BBC 1. That's a, a ridiculously high
2: concept idea <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, you could imagine that in like a film level production. Yeah, well, not, like That's it's a, yeah, a, like a wild Doctor idea. Doctor Who was made on the budget of, like, a bag of cheese and onion crisps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Baker and Martin already knew Hartnell was ill, so we wrote the first Doctor if Hartnell's limited mobility mind. Basically, mm-hmm. Hartnell would have been just sitting around with TARDIS, and he, he'd do a big thing at the end of episode four, apparently. But, you know... Um, so months went by and Bob Baker and Dave Martin had just finished writing the story and Barry Lex was preparing the contracts until Heather Hartnell phoned Barry and said that there was no possible way that William could do it as he was terribly ill. Mm. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce this. He had RT sclerosis and wouldn't be able to remember his lines because the disease closes up the flow of blood to the limbs and the brain. Oh, damn. So, yeah. There were days that uh, William Hartnell couldn't even remember what Doctor Who was. Like, it was so important to him, he just couldn't remember what the show was. He basically had dementia, so...
2: Yeah, that's that's really tragic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very tragic. And also on the day when Barry Letts phoned him, it was obviously a good day for him, because he could remember exactly what Doctor Who was, and mm-hmm. he was all up for doing it without realizing he was obviously in poor health. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baker and Martin had moved on to other projects, so Terence Dix had to reduce the role even more by cutting out the final sequence where the first Doctor joins forces with the other two Doctors. Um, to, to promote this episode, the Radio Times featured all three Doctors in the front cover, making it the only time the three actors appeared together in person. Uh, they shot this iconic cover in Hartnell's shed. Oh, nice. so, yeah, um... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they did get to meet uh, William Hart on the end, but only in his shed, basically, because obviously he couldn't really yeah, do couldn't much really. outside of his house. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to jump into the episode then? Yeah, sure. On that very sad note. Very,
2: very sad note. <laughs> let's jump into a very silly episode as we look at part one of the three doctors.
0: Well, it's a bit difficult to explain, Joe. He's not one of them, is he? Well, not so much one of them as one of us one of me to be precise oh no 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 i'm sorry my dear i hate to be contrary but i can see he's a little bit confused poor old chap and i do feel you should have the correct explanation you don't mind do you yes i didn't think you would you see joe i may call you joe meantime. you see he is one of me
1: oh i see you're both time lords
0: well quite well not quite oh not not just time lords we're the same time lords uh, please, you're only confusing my assistant. Joe, it's all quite simple. I am he, and he is me.
2: And we are all together, go-goo, kitshoo. Mm-hmm. What? It's a song by the Beatles. Oh,
0: how does he go? Oh, please be quiet.
1: <laughs> Look, is he really you?
0: Yes, yes, I'm afraid so. so. I think he is, Miss Grant. You see, when the brig and I first met the doctor, he looked like him. How? Yeah, you know, that's what I'd like to know. You've got no right to be here. What Perhaps... about the first law of time? Perhaps I could explain. Perhaps you could. Well our fellow Time Lords out there are just as much under siege as we are. What? And they couldn't send anyone to help you. But they did summon up enough temporal energy to lift me out of my bit of our time stream and pop me down here into my own future so to speak. Why? My dear fellow you are being a bit dim aren't you? Your effectiveness is now doubled. Halved more like. No no. There's no need to be ungracious.
2: So our episode begins with an action-packed opening, <laughs> where for, it feels like a solid five minutes or so, we're just kind of looking at British landscape. But it's like a car's <laughs> driving through a sleepy village, like a guy's out by a lake looking at a big balloon. And, you know, really nothing's going on and no one's talking and there's no music. It's a, yeah,
1: it's, an interesting it's... way to
2: open up the season.
1: You know, if this was the Sea Devils, you just hear music as the car is tra- driving along. <laughs> yeah. What what noise would a car make if it was music? <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the music the Sea Devils composer would
1: use. It sounded like a gun for some reason. <laughs> like... <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, this was part of the reason why I was just so disappointed watching this episode the first time as a kid. Like, you think of it, all the Doctors being together at that point, and it's like, oh, this is going to be so exciting. Mm-hmm. And then it just opens up on just cars driving just, just by. Just a sleepy and... town. Yeah, just a yeah. sleepy
2: <laughs> town. Uh, but something is slightly amiss in this sleepy town as the like guy with the shotgun, like farmer guy, uh, ends up getting zapped by a slideshow transition. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and he vanishes. Uh, and we're like, oh my God, where did he vanish off to? There was some sort of weird... Creature thing in this box thing that he was touching or something like that, uh, and we then cut to Joe giving everybody cups of tea in the um, unit headquarters, which is an interesting thing for the companion to do to open a season.
1: Yeah, it's it's a terrible. Yeah, we just covered the tenth planet last month, and I think there's a point where there is a point where
2: she gets told to make tea, and she. Goes, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, and I think there was a point in the Tomb of the Cybermen where somebody makes tea. It's just like, can, can we not think of anything for the woman to do? Could yeah. just,
2: Someone's got to make
1: the tea, okay? <laughs> can <Could> like...
2: <laughs> a man not make tea? <laughs> you get out of here with your hippie ideas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this leads to quite a long discussion with the Dr. Joe... Uh, The Brigadier and some science guy uh, as they're all sipping on their tea talking in a very British way in a very boring dry way about like (laughs) weather charts and like balloons and shit like that and it's fantastic I really I love what I love about Classic Who at times is how just overtly British it is and (laughs) you know people standing around having a boring conversation as they drink tea is just the pinnacle of British entertainment Uh, but there is a few things I do really like about this scene. I like bits where, like... Her tweet is going off saying some science stuff joe understands what she's saying and translates that for like the uh yeah. Leopard stewart and stuff you know like she's actually contributing to the
1: conversation and being smart like yeah yeah she's able to explain it in an earthly way <laughs> <'Cause>, yeah because <laughs> brigadier yeah, for swamping this episode brigadier is very stupid in this episode <laughs> he is he's like a <laughs> clown
2: he is he is the punching bag for the jokes quite often in this episode uh, and there's
1: even a point where the scientist shows the notes to the brigadier and he's like, no, 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 I'm I'm stupid, you show that to the <laughs> show doctor. Show that to the doctor,
2: I don't know what's going on, though. I can't read. Uh, there's a really nice bit of blocking as well when the doctor's looking at these like... I don't like x-rays of clouds wherever the fuck it's not an x-ray of a cloud that's impossible but it's that's what it looks like uh and you know one of them is really big and see-through and then the most recent one is very thin and narrow and he holds them up to the lens of the camera each time and you can see his face through them it's just a clever bit of illustrating yeah. how much it is without having to do much camera movement
1: I really really like that bit of blocking for sure um, one of my favorite things about this scene is John Pertwee's outfit. That, that coat is beautiful, and on the Blu-ray, it just the color of the red pops, and it, it yeah. looks really nice. It looks really, really nice.
2: Nice, it does. I do like his costume. It is very frilly. Uh, although I, I also like the use of bow ties. You know, both him and the yeah. Second Doctor have bow ties on. Uh, although when the Second Doctor does show up, um, it being in color, I don't know why. We've covered Second Doctor stories before. But it being in colour really to me just like yelled how much Matt Smith's costume was inspiration from the Second Doctor because it is almost like note for note uh the same costume Uh. as Matt Smith's. It's just like the trousers on the second doctor are very much old man trousers that go up to like his nipples. (laughs) Like
1: (laughs) uh one of my favorite things about this scene also is just like the bring the is like, Can I do something that's useful? And the doctor's like, yeah, sure, pass me this rod. Yes. And it it goes along the line of people and the doctor just stirs his tea with it. It's wonderful.
2: It is. Uh the Doctor and Joe then are like, hey, we've got to go investigate this other anomaly or something. They have to go somewhere. Uh and they're gonna leave Science Guy to continue researching and say that he should have all the stuff he needs in this room. Uh which then leads to uh, like a jab from the brigadier once they leave when he's like, you know, this is a top secret facility, Mr. Science Guy. Uh <laughs> you shouldn't be making yourself so at home. But like, why the fuck is he there? If he's like shouldn't be making himself at home? Who is this man? Why did you invite him to your top secret facility? You're just going to tell him. By the way, like.
1: you know the th- thing about UNIT is it never makes any sense, no matter how many times you see UNIT in the show. <laughs> like you think UNIT nowadays doesn't make sense. Like in the classic series, they always seem to change location. They always seem to change whether or not it's a secret or- organization. Because there's like, like the Brigadiers, like oh yeah, but this is a secret organization. And then later on, there's a sign saying UNIT, yeah. just outside the door. It's <laughs> like how secret is
2: this (laughs) it doesn't just say unit it says brigadier leftbridge stewart on the (laughs) sign as well he's advertising his name outside the building for some reason uh but science guy prints off like an x-ray of some more storm stuff with a human face on it and it looks very very silly it is very (laughs) silly uh but this face it turns out we find out later is like his face or
1: something because he gets zapped is it somebody else's face. face It's the face of the farmer who got zapped right. earlier. Right, right. Because uh, he's already in wherever yeah, he he's, is.
2: He's in like the desert place that we see later. Yeah. Uh, but the science guy is very confused by that. And then he gets zapped by the PowerPoint transition as well because there was an alien creature thing in that orange box <laughs> or something. Uh, it zaps him and then crawls into the sink. And it definitely looks flawless. Doesn't look really jank <laughs> at all. It is some very good digital effects.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a very digital digital effect. It's a very early, very early. <laughs> like it, it, it looks pixelated, it looks glitchy, it looks. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to describe it. It's very strange, but I kind of dig it. I, I yeah. dig it more than the actual costumes for the blobby creatures. I really like the blobby on. creatures, honestly. I really <laughs> like them. Uh,
2: but we we then cut to the Doctor and Joe as they're at the site where the farmer guy vanished. And they're chatting with an old lady. And honestly, I didn't remember this scene happening. Uh, it, it's, it's very <laughs> inconsequential. It's just like, oh, things are yeah. kind of weird here, aren't they? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's,
1: it's like the Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver, which sounds like a Geiger counter throughout yeah. this entire story for some reason. Yeah, it's strange. But yeah, um yeah, he's just basically like, yeah, there's no sign of her husband. Her husband was probably kidnapped somehow, and we can't it's more important when we fought. It's 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 big. Mm-hmm. It's something's like, a yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh we then get a very nice little bit of comedy with Leftbridge Stewart again as he comes back to the bit looking for the science man and he's like, Oh, he's not here. Okay, great, let's call the guards, he's gone off for a fucking wander around this facility. Uh obviously because he's not, and he's actually just been zapped.
1: Uh, we... yeah, this is uh, this is obviously the reintroduction of Benton, who was a regular during the unit years. Uh, John Levine was originally started as a Cyberman and yet like his height was he he was a very tall man, so he right. was obviously cast as a lot of monsters for a role. And eventually, when in the Patrick Charton era, units were introduced, they were like, "We need a tall soldier. Let's mm-hmm. cast John Levine." and he eventually became a regular because obviously the third Doctor era was more about Unit, and Unit was the family. In this episode, he's given more lines than normal because the man who played Mike Yates, who we saw in The Demons, mm-hmm. was working on stage, and later he'll take on a role Jamie was supposed to take, but Fraser Hines was busy filming Emmerdale and he couldn't do it. So in this episode, he has more lines than normal. Um, So according to him... John Levine he was very scared he was going to let the other actors down and this is him talking because I hadn't been to drama school or anything and I had no voice lessons or anything like that but Patrick Tritron said to me don't worry about the amount of dialogue John he won't have any trouble with it you've done a marvelous job on Benton and I love acting opposite you and this oh, was a nice. kind of faith he had to just carry on the episode which is Really lovely to hear stories about this Because Patrick Charlton seems like a nice guy when he's when he's in work mode. <laughs> his his personal life not so much, but his work oh, mode okay. life. Yeah, I don't
2: I don't know too much about Patrick charlton's personal. Um,
1: life. basically, he led a hidden secret life. throughout oh. His entire life, uh, he had a secret family he kept from his real family. So. Oh wow. Oh, that's, okay. that's right from what I've heard, and it sounds like a weird life. In-
2: interesting. <laughs> what an interesting man uh we then cut to the doctor driving bessie uh which doesn't have a roof and so joe has to use an umbrella as a roof and it's very silly to look at uh as they're driving through this like that's a good
1: point actually what happened to the roof
2: no idea it's just this quite wet day and they're like ah we'll just (laughs) use an umbrella it's fine uh but they park up the car and get out and then immediately they get attacked by this monster thing and it is hilarious uh where the doctor's like you know you gotta run back over the car joe you know fucking run when i say run uh and it's uh silly and then bessie ends up getting destroyed uh which is yeah uh, it doesn't really get destroyed it gets sucked away i didn't whenever yeah. the powerpoint transition happened i was like god i don't care about this
1: <laughs> but but you I, know as a kid bessie has been a big part for of a show for like three years, and you think, oh no, Bessie's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Bessie was basically the TARDIS for the doctor for a while because obviously he couldn't have his TARDIS. Yes. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, there's also a uh, minor wardrobe malfunction in this scene, which is uh shame, really. When Joe runs across the car, it is just Pant City. You know, you're looking oh, all the I way to France. You're that. looking all the way to France. <laughs> like. <laughs> uh but i'm not surprised though (laughs) (laughs) there's a really fun bit of blocking with the doctor and joe where they're like peeking out from a tree like it's very cartoony where the tree's in the middle uh the doctor's on one side joe's on the other as they're like oh my god what's going on here we should run you know uh it's just i like the framing it's it's very nice every now and then doctor who pulls out some creative little frames
1: yeah on on for this budget it does have some nice little images you know like, mm-hmm. you know, this was shot in such a limited amount of time. I think this was shot in November and the episode came out in December. So yeah. obviously it was a rushed production and it, it turns out decent enough. It does. For yeah. the most part. It's it's question mark. Completely <laughs>
2: fine. It's completely fine. But the Doctor and Drew end up back at the science facility where they're talking with Leverage Stewart and the other guy whose name I have definitely forgotten already Benton. Uh, Benton. Uh, And this is where the doctor's kind of figuring out that there's something afoot, that the thing is going after him and not other people. Because, you know, it attacked the science guy in the science facility, attacked him at the car. You know, these are all like places where he was and the thing just missed him. Uh, It seems to be going after him. Uh, He comes to this conclusion really quickly. um, But I guess he's a smart guy and there's a lot more stuff going on in this episode. So I'm I'm not that fussed about it, honestly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I thank God he comes to this conclusion quickly cuz I really want to get to a second doctor and yeah the, technically the first doctor shows up technically yeah
2: <laughs> technically it's weird that we're now at the like halfway point of this episode uh, believe it or not we are halfway through this episode and nothing so much has happened it's been a really slow setup, and it's yeah. really strange thinking in these next 13 minutes we're going to get the second Doctor to show up, we're going to go to Gallifrey, we're going to like see like, yeah. <laughs> you know we're going to see the first Doctor there's going to be like all this shit suddenly just starts happening in these last 10 minutes Like, <laughs> yeah it,
1: it, doc, classic Doctor who goes at a weird pace sometimes. It really does it really does uh, but you know the most interesting stuff at the very front you know <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, the quiet, little sleepy village. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so the episode, the episode continues with a extremely long and drawn out gunfight between unit soldiers and several Mister Blobbies that yeah. <laughs> spontaneously pop into existence.
1: Yeah. So in the script, these Blobby creatures were supposed to like ch- ch- keep on changing shapes, but I don't think Bob Baker and dave martin knew what she were writing for <laughs> just because you know doctor he would never have a budget back in the 70s and instead we're just kind of just this just solid form I mean, just it's very hard to explain it's very strange
2: it is they're just these big blobby guys with a big eyeball it's like i liken them to like power ranger villains yeah. like they look like they should be fighting the power rangers they are that yeah, rubbery
1: but, yeah they also have like a glowing lobster claw <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and every time we cut to the lobster claw you can see uh the, the fight is in a, like a grassy area but every time cut to the close-up of the claw you can see like sand that's because it was shot another day when everybody's at the, like you know the quarry right. on in the ep- yes. episode two yes. so yeah it's very weird contrast between it's the tr- grass and the sand
2: <laughs> very strange indeed uh The Lethbridge goes off to go help with the fighting as the Doctor and Joe are left alone in the science place. Uh, The Doctor tells Joe basically to fuck off uh, because he's in danger and she's not. She's like, absolutely not. Uh, Benton climbs in through the window. He
1: he, he, he tells her to fuck off because she's a girl and she might scream. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: Benton climbs in through the window as the magical goo stuff uh comes in through the vent and starts attacking them forcing them to run inside the tardis and hide uh which what i really like here is the doctor turns on like the force field and stuff like that there's a gunfire going on out around and people are dying everywhere and joe uh, like he calls out like a signal to the time lords and stuff to be like oh come help us and joe's like so what are we gonna do and he's like well we're safe in here so we'll just kick our feet up and watch it on the tv
1: <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, yes, well, this is actually a new TARDIS interior for the time. Um, what do you think of a TARDIS? <laughs> it's fine. It's it's. I don't think this is my favorite classic Who TARDIS,
2: but it's it's completely yeah. fine. It feels like a lot of empty space. Uh, it does.
1: Every TARDIS feels like empty space because they just don't know how to fill up the space. Really, yeah. Um, this new TARDIS cost eighty nine pounds for one hundred and twenty five hours of work, which is roughly nine hundred and fifty pounds in today's money. so yeah, we can build like a cheap. lot of these. That's
2: still cheap. Yeah, that's that's doable. <laughs>
1: like, it's amazing how cheap these TARDISes is. Whereas we just found out a new uh, Doctor Who's doing a new deal with Disney. Mm-hmm. and you know this TARDIS is gonna look amazing you know all of, imagine all the money being spent on that TARDIS design that's going to look that's incredible. gonna incredible
2: yeah it's gonna be very very I'm cool. excited
1: to see the new TARDIS
2: <laughs> yes uh I'm always excited to see the new TARDIS it's always a bit of excitement for me uh but the doctor calls out a warning or uh, like a SOS to the time lords and we then transition to presumably Gallifrey uh with some Time Lords in a very colorful set. It is, yeah. they they—they love their colored Time <laughs> Lords. Yeah, As this we...
1: was the second time in the show we've ever seen Gallifrey, and it wasn't named at the time. The last time we saw Gallifrey was, of course, at the end of the War Games. Uh, This is the last time we would actually see them in the way Malcolm Hulk and Terrence Dick made them as like a scientific race dedicated to keeping the universe balanced. Mm -hmm. The next time we see the Time Lords in a major way would be the Deadly Assassin, which took place after the Hand of Fear. Mm. And they were basically, basically, they were rewritten into being like big politicians. Yes. They were just focused on politics and that was this was controversial at the time because they changed the time lords <laughs> and cut 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 forward to like 40 years later with all the timeless children stuff and they've been you know, every time we tried to add new lore to the time lords it's been controversial even when we were destroyed in the time war that was a controversial move as well
2: yep. so yeah <laughs> yeah uh they never seem to quite nail the Time Lord. They, the Time Lords themselves have always interested me, and I've always wanted to explore Gallifrey loads, uh, and it just yeah. feels like they always end up either making them really dull, boring, or just don't know what to do and kill them off, you know?
1: Apparently the big finish spin-off Gallifrey, which has like, uh, legacy characters like Romana and Leela, apparently that's a really interesting big finish spin-off, but there's mm. like 20... Yeah. Box yeah, it's big <laughs> finish. Like... <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, in terms of the actors playing the Time Lords, the bearded Time Lord Sitten was played by a disabled actor, Graham Lehman, and he appeared in other minor roles, throughout a series and five stories, which is cool. we are casting a disabled actor. Yeah. It's something you wouldn't think about seeing in Doctor Who in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the actor who plays the can- the Chancellor reprises his role from the war Games, so that's a nice little bit of continuity. And also, uh, they look up images of a black hole, which looks nothing like a black hole.
2: <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't look like a black hole at all. Uh, but they also go on to have an extremely long conversation about the ethicality of crossing the time streams with the Doctor. And if it's with the rules or against the rules. And, you know, whether or not they'll be able to afford to use that much power because they're currently, like trapped with some time thing to do with the black hole as well it's very convoluted uh but i did i did love it i thought it was fantastic with how just really dull and dry sci-fi it was
1: And yeah, no. Every time we've had like a multi-doctor storyline after this, it's never really like we never sit around pondering the ethicality of having two doctors in the same room. Which just we kind of mention it briefly in like the Day of the Doctor and stuff, but yeah. it's never a big part of the plot in this way.
2: Yeah, they usually it's just like an an abnormality's happened and you won't remember this, but we need your help right now.
1: So come on, like you know, a, a fun concept would be what if something went seriously wrong when two doctors crossed paths, yeah. like. Now, uh, kind of, is kind of what happened in Father's Day, kind of. Yeah, when the Ninth Doctor ran into himself. Th- and, yeah, it got it but, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole situation with the black holes in this episode, uh, Bob and Dave got information about black holes from an astronomer after being inspired from an article article on the subject in the Times in 1972. And um, basically, what you need to know about Bob and Dave is they know nothing about science. And several times throughout this entire story, they basically copy and paste lines from his Times article and <laughs> give it to give it to the doctor so he can explain what a black hole is. But this was basically lifted from the Times.
2: Incredible. Like
1: is exact lines. We know nothing about science, which is funny. Which is that really is, funny. That is
2: that is very funny. Uh, they decide, the Time Lords, that they're going to get the second Doctor to come back and help the first Doctor, uh, or the first Doctor, the third Doctor. uh, And we cut to the TARDIS as we start hearing this whirling noise as if the TARDIS is transporting or moving somewhere uh, we see the second doctor's recorder appear on top of the console and the doctor's like this seems familiar to me gives it to Joe and Joe's like oh I don't know and then there's a really nice effect shot it's I've, it's very very obvious how they did it but yeah. I really like this effect shot where uh, the doctor the second doctor's hand appears out of nowhere and grabs the, the recorder and then bang his entire body appears after that I thought that was a lot of fun and then after the second doctor shows up Oh my fuck! Does this episode become amazing? Because <laughs> yeah. he is just comedy out his ass in every yeah. line. Like,
1: um. So yeah, there was an issue of little tension on set between Patrick and John. Obviously, um. Basically, Patrick liked to have living while John preferred to say as the lines as written, and he relied on verbal cues from other actors. So if a sentence ended up with a word "bed," for example, mm-hmm. John probably would know to go with his next line but if, if patrick uh if patrick troughton said another word instead he'd be like oh it's my line now <laughs> <laughs> like I caused a little tension because obviously there's two different acting styles there mm-hmm. and you can see where john's coming from and uh, yeah obviously a lot a lot of tension at first but eventually two would become close friends And they still enjoyed the act of bickering at fan conventions and TV appearances. Like, if you ever see footage of these two men together, they are always bickering and it's always entertaining, like this episode. (laughs) Uh, This episode, it it does become, for these last five minutes, just
2: ridiculously entertaining. There's some incredible jokes with the second Doctor just being this annoying little twerp with his, like, (laughs) recorder. There's a great bit where they're trying to explain how, like, the second Doctor who he is to joe uh and the joe's like makes a joke about the beatles and the second doctor's like oh how does it go in the recording that, Like, is it's so good it's so and of course so patrick good. troughton
1: has the line of you've redecorated which comes yes. up quite often but Patrick Trouton came up with "I don't like it," <laughs> so that's, that's his line. It and is, and he says it again in the fifth, do- in the five Doctors when he visits uh, the Brigadier in his new office, ah.
2: and also famously recreated again when David Tennant visits into I think it's Matt Smith's Tardis, uh, yeah, and he's like, you know, you've redecorated, oh, I don't like it,
1: and yeah. then also um um. Uh, uh, Matt Smith says it when he runs into um, James Gordon again. Yes. About his house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also a little nice bit of continuity between uh, Benton and the second doctor where they're like, yeah, remember with the time with Seidman and the, and the Yetis? And, <laughs> uh, last time I saw you, you were a surgeon. Now you're a cor- uh, corporal, whatever. It, it, there's some good... You were Last time I saw you, you were a corporal. Now you're a sergeant. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it's very very fun. Uh, but the first, doc- the third Doctor and the second Doctor cannot stop their bickering, and the Time Lords look on like, oh fuck. Uh, well, we'll go and get the first Doctor to come and tell them off then, I guess. Uh, but something goes awry, and the first Doctor ends up on a boat on their TV screen, <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, I'm here to tell you that it's a time bridge, okay? Hmm. hmm? And then he just kind of leaves. It, it's 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 a weird scene. Yeah. Uh, but i did like how it was shot i thought it was shot very cleverly because it gets this close-up on the tv screen and on the tv you see the reflection of everybody watching the yeah. screen i thought that was a very very fun little bit of camera work
1: yeah which later on causes problems because you can see the camera and multiple <laughs> shots in like episode three <laughs> and four so <laughs> but yeah before we get uh um william hartnell on the screen in the tardis uh we see him in a garden but it's actually william hartnell's garden oh and nice. this was the last bit of work william hartnell last bit of acting william Hartnell ever did just walking around in his garden which is kind of sad
2: <laughs> yeah but at least he's still he's still you know got to keep doing it until he couldn't anymore
1: Yeah, but obviously all of Hartnell's scenes were pre-filmed at Alien Studios and he was looking at the teleprompter the entire time just reading cards because obviously he couldn't remember any lines. Yeah. Which, it, what what changed? What changed from... You, know, <laughs> you can never remember any lines. Yeah, anyway. he was
2: terrible at remembering lines. But it does lead to this awkward... And, it's you know, there's nothing you can do because he is a yeah. dying man. It does lead to this awkward stiltness in his performance and this awkward beats where, like, they'll say yeah. something and then there's, like, a five-second pause and Hartnell will be like, Ah, yes! Uh, mm, uh, and then say his line. But you,
1: you get there's, past it, you know? Yeah, there's an awkward beat where Patrick Troughton's just looking at the screen, kind of waiting for Mm -hmm. William Hartnell to say a line, he's just like, go on. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, What I did really like is I like the, the inherent comedy that the smartest, wisest doctor that needs to calm down the other two doctors is technically the youngest doctor. Yeah.
1: (laughs) 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 Which is again, what, um, Stephen Moffat did in the Day of the Doctor, where yes. John Hurt's doctor is this most sensible out of the two doctors, <laughs> and, and he's and he's just he's just so upset about what he's become. <laughs> he's like, "Am I having a midlife crisis?" If you remember that line, yes,
2: yes, it's very good. Uh, um, there, there's also a line... in
1: this episode. Sorry, in this episode, Joe was originally given a really weird line of "It's like two women in one kitchen." Oh wow! Basically referring to the doctors bickering, which is. I'm glad that was cut. <laughs> yeah, uh, though speaking of weird
2: definitely dated lines, Hartnell has a line when he's looking at the two doctors and he's like, ah, these are my replacements. It's like, what does he say? Something and a clown. A dandy clown. and a clown. A, yeah, a dandy and a clown. And uh, I just the word dandy to me feels a little bit like, okay, what do you mean by that? What, what exactly <laughs> are you hitting at with that word? Like,
1: <laughs> What do we mean by that?
2: I don't know. I don't know. But... It's uh it's it's a very old timey word isn't yeah. it like yeah. very 1970s um what else happens uh so they end up getting shouted at by Hartnell one more time where he doesn't really say anything uh and then the doctor for some reason is like fuck this I'm going to go kill myself uh <laughs> and leaves the Tardis and uh, this is John pertway uh he leaves yeah. the Tardis to go confront the beast and Joe runs after him and he's like no Joe stop and then they both get zapped by the powerpoint transition uh which means that now our doctors are separated and no longer having fun together
1: it was a really strange decision to have them interact for like four minutes of one episode, and then suddenly the next episode yeah. they're sort of separated. It's just, just separate strange. adventures.
2: Yeah, it is very strange. Because they were so charming together as well for those like yeah. four minutes. It's wonderful. And I was like, I want the whole episode to be this, but then they're like, ah, fuck that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, at least next episode, uh, the second doctor does get some great stuff to do with the Brigadier, which we'll cover obviously in a few minutes.
2: Yes, yes, in a few minutes indeed. Uh, but that does bring us to the end of episode one. What are your thoughts on this? Just just brief thoughts on this first episode before we move into part two.
1: You know, I enjoyed it overall. You know, it's just a Mm -hmm. fun episode. There's just so many silly moments, which aren't intentional, which I I, I just find myself giggling away at it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. I found it pretty, pretty funny as well. Um, I think it definitely gets better in the second half than it does in the first half. The first half, to me, feels like a very slow build-up, whereas the second half flies by because you have this fun banter. It's not really something that super continues into the next episode. Uh, The next episode is still fun, but we'll see. But this one I did have an enjoyable time with. Um, But with that said, let's jump in to episode two. Oh,
0: no. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, but you're not the. Yes, it is, sir. It's the first one. How are you, Brigadier? Pretty well, thanks. Doctor, what the blazes are you doing? Why have you changed your appearance? And what's happened to Miss Grant? There you are. It's all quite simple, really. Yes, but I'm sorry. Well, I don't believe a word of it. Look, just tell me this. Are you or are you not the doctor that I met during the Yeti business and then later when the Cybermen invaded? Of course I am. You can see that. Right. But then you subsequently appeared on Earth during that trouble with the Autons. Only then you changed into a tall thin fellow. And I really? How fascinating. Doctor, I warn you. It's no use your asking me about all this, Brigadier. As far as I'm concerned, it hasn't happened yet. Don't you see? I'm just a temporal anomaly.
2: Episode two begins as all episodes twos of Class Who's do, which is <laughs> a, a, right where the first episode ended uh, with the doctor being zapped into oblivion with Joe at his side. Uh, however, this time we stay with the second doctor as he is like, yeah, I'm sure they knew what they were doing. Uh, let's just we've just got to kind of focus on the problem at hand and ignore whatever the hell they're up to, uh, because quite frankly, there's nothing we can do about it. Which yeah, is, you know, fair enough. <laughs> this episode,
1: this episode more than most, feels like a classic Second Doctor episode of Doctor Who because mm-hmm. obviously he's been separated and he's stuck with a UNIT gun, which is yeah, two characters he's he spent a lot of time with in his era.
2: Yeah, uh, they step out of the TARDIS and they look at the orb the blobby thing and it is just kind of sitting there it jolts for a bit and they run into the tardis and then come back out for some lighthearted comedy but basically they're like oh it's it's got its prey it's got the doctor so now it's just kind of waiting to find out what it has to do next so we've we've got some time to sit around and fucking chat shit
1: like <laughs> yeah on chat shit they do <laughs> oh my god
2: they sure do uh we get a really fun bit that it starts like freaking out a little bit again uh but the brigadier shows up and they all run out to tell the brigadier Day, like hey fucking stop what you're doing and there's this great like moment with the brigadier where he like has to s- he slowly turns his head to the second doctor and he's like what the ever-living shit how is how are you here like why have you changed your face again to this guy doctor like what's going on uh the brigadier comedy is top notch
1: like, <laughs> and also the brigadier kind of predicts degeneration <laughs> you know <laughs> the idea that the doctor could go back to the previous yeah. form yeah uh, yeah but uh, you know that's never going to happen in the show but the, doc- the next doctor would never be someone we've seen before completely right? re-
2: yeah sure definitely <laughs> uh
1: but yeah the brigadier just doesn't believe the fact that you know the second doctor time traveled into the present
2: i know <laughs> even though he's got a time machine uh the um the Brigadier's like, hey, what's been happening since I've been gone? And the Doctor's like, oh, it's okay. I'll catch you up on everything. So, the you know, John Pertwee got zapped. Then we cut to a like shot that's like one second long of John Pertwee and Joe appearing in the quarry. Then we cut back to uh, the second Doctor being like, and that's everything that happens. Because it's supposed to be like a time <laughs> skip, so we're not just repeating information. Yeah. But it, it's like he told all that information in one and a half seconds. Like, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> they do not give enough time to make it feel like a time skip.
1: It's not that hard of a story to explain. Basically, the Doctor and <laughs> Joe got zapped and they called for me to help and now I'm here. But yeah, <laughs> the, the fact that the Brigadier just does not believe the fact that he's the I second know. Doctor, he's from the past, is so funny. Uh, there was a line in the script which says, uh, where the second Doctor says, Believe what you'd like, Brigadier, as long as it makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I wish was kept here because we that basically just line. go with his... Uh, we basically go with him basically being like yeah yeah i'm from the um, i changed my face okay brigadier <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the fact that the brigadier is just a massive idiot in this episode yeah, he's
2: a complete buffoon uh that the doctor explains that what they're facing is like antimatter uh and you know that that's super complicated and the only people that are able to stop it are me and me and me he said uh which is a very very fun line Uh, And we then cut to the Time Lords for some really boring shit that does not matter, where they are just recapping what happened in episode one. They're like, you know, this is where everybody is. This is what's going on. This is who we are. This is, you know, the third Doctor's over here, the second Doctor's over here, and we're still trapped with the the, the time travel duck and black hole thing. Like, it's very much like, if you missed last week's episode here, this will catch you up as we continue going.
1: Yeah, they cut away from Patrick Troughton delivering exposition just so they can deliver it from the Time Lords. you are infinitely more boring. Like, yeah. just have Patrick Troughton explain it. He's a char- he's a charming, funny man. Just have him explain it. would be so much more entertaining.
2: It would be, but instead we get a very long scene with the Time Lords. Eventually we cut to John Pertwee in a quarry with Joe uh and joe's immediate reaction is oh we're died didn't we we are dead this is we're gone this is it we're in hell uh which is uh, a an, an attitude i really like for a companion to have it's very fun <laughs> also
1: i just love the fact that she thinks the quarry is hell because like every fucking classic who story is set in a quarry yeah it's great uh
2: they start walking around as we see one of the mr blobby creatures looking on at them from a distance uh the the quarry stuff for me doesn't really grip me there's some fun moments in it but it is it's very much just a quarry they're walking around basically
1: basically this whole scene is just like five minutes of them wandering around and there's two two moments where they are overwatched by the blobby creature i mean there's another moment where they're overwatched by the farmer man it's like Do you really need three moments of people watching them? (laughs) Do you really need it?
2: You do. You need more, honestly, I thought. There was, uh, we also get a good scene with the second Doctor where he's just giving more exposition, but he's talking about the antimatter and how it's, like, impossible for it to exist here, but yet it exists here anyway, and he's got some, some, you know, fun quips where he's like, yeah, it's pretty awkward, isn't it, that this thing's just here and (laughs) we don't know why, then, you know, it shouldn't be here, but whoever put it here is clearly more smarter than we are uh well, yeah is, it's
1: a fun line just basically like yeah whoever we, we mm-hmm. need to figure this out because whoever is here is more smarter than we are and that's the only problem <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> uh we go back to joe and the doctor at the quarry and they're looking at a bunch of shit that got zapped mainly from the office the science office so there's a very fun joke with the door being locked and uh john perry's like well this has no admittance on the door even though you can get around the yeah. walls very 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 fun comedy.
1: They also walk past a very high, highly advanced mini-computer from way back in the 70s, <laughs> which was high-tech 50 years ago, which is kind of insane to look at now.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they then find Bessie and basically decide to just fucking drive around for a bit and see what they see as they get looked on at by one of the Blobby guys, which is fun. I, I yeah, mean, like, if you're...
1: Per- John perfectly basically has a line of where to, and um, Joe replies with, "Oh, just twice around the park, I guess."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being very British, uh, we all, but this does lead us <laughs> into one of my favorite shots from this episode, which is this weird as fuck Dutch angle as the car is like parking up on one of the roads that make it look like they're like at a forty-five degrees on a yeah. mountain top. It's crazy looking. Uh, yeah, I
1: think I think the first time I watched that, I was like, "Holy shit!" They. They drove at that angle. Yeah, oh, like wait, the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> it took is, me a moment to realize. <laughs> it's it's
2: fun, and it does it does add to this place seeming slightly more otherworldly. You know, like yeah. the landscape's all fucked, and they're not driving on like just a straight path. Uh, I, I will
1: say, classic. Who does a good job of making quarries feel otherworldly because, like, unless you're looking really hard, you don't see any like trees in the distance mm-hmm. or just cars driving by. Most of these shots look pretty well done. Yeah.
2: Uh, we then cut back to the second doctor as he set up some sort of device to use if the antimatter starts moving again but the brigadier comes back and says you've got to have a video call with everybody that's in charge because they want to talk to you about what's going on uh, and the second doctor's like won't they be super confused as to why i'm me and not you know the third doctor and the brigadier's went ah i just said you were his companion it seemed a lot easier <laughs> that way which greatly upsets the second doctor Just some wonderful <laughs> wonderful comedy
1: yeah, some great comedy and also um the mention of the video phone was to reference the fact that the story takes place in the future decade of the eighties. Oh where God. everybody will be on their video phones.
2: Yes, yes they will.
1: God, I <laughs> could can't... could you imagine video phones being made? No. That'd be I, insane.
2: I, I honestly can't <laughs> imagine living in the futuristic year of nineteen eighties. Uh it seems so far away that I don't think we'll ever get to see it,
1: you know? Could you just. No, imagine just talking to somebody over the phone, but you actually see them. (laughs) And you're looking at like a little camera. That'd be insane. What you're
2: talking about makes literally no sense. (laughs) Um. But the the doctor gives his device to uh, Benton and he's like, zap it if it moves, zap it more if it keeps moving, uh, and then he leaves. And Benton starts like panicking, being like, oh shit, what if, Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. This is pretty scary. Then the second everybody leaves, he's like, ah, fuck this, and just takes some chewing gum and like eats the <laughs> gum and throws the wrapper into the antimatter, which pisses off the antimatter and it starts like gurgling. He's like, oh fuck again. Ah, and he turns on the zappy thing, but it's that sudden sort of attitude change of, oh my god, yeah. I'm really nervous too. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> (laughs)
1: I can just picture Dave Martin and Bob Baker being like oh fuck how do we advance the plot Mm -hmm. oh I know let's have Benton eating some gum
2: (laughs) Yeah, and he (laughs) throws it in and then it makes the thing go all gurgly for no reason like it's really the
1: only way you could advance the plot at this point with the second Doctor storyline like Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Uh, but everybody- it's so silly. <laughs> it starts moving and he calls everybody back and then they run into the TARDIS as the thing explodes away the electrical device uh, that was doing literally nothing to it it did not work at all like <laughs> uh so with everybody inside the tardis uh, the brigadier's mind kind of breaks because i guess this is his first time inside the actual tardis and he's like oh my god it's it's bigger on the inside it's kind of like what happened with kate stewart most recently yeah, in the yeah. centenary special whereas she had never been in the tardis before and she's like what the fuck
1: like... yeah you know <laughs> it's so funny that we've we're doing receptors straight after power of the doctor because power of the doctor makes a big reference about the doctor's flute yes a recorder and of course the, the second doctor's whole subplot here is basically he's trying to find his recorder
2: <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's calling it a subplot is really being generous to it uh he does no however-
1: no i'm telling you i'm telling you it becomes important in part four <laughs>
2: <laughs> he does however offer uh hang on i'm gonna sneeze bless you <coughs> He does, however, offer uh, the Brigadier a Jelly Baby, which is a fun reference to something that hasn't happened yet, uh, which is some fun Doctor Who foreshadowing
1: accidentally, probably. Um, so, yeah, this is the second appearance of a Jelly Baby, actually. The second Doctor first offered some a Jelly Baby in the Crotons, I want to say, in mm-hmm. 1967. So yeah, this is the second reference in the script. It was uh, script is a gobstopper, but then realised, yeah, we want to do a Tom Baker reference before Tom Baker before Tom cast. Baker shows up. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, we then cut to the science man in the quarry, and if you. Ever wondered if the writers knew anything about science? Uh, you know, even though Scott said they didn't, they really show it here, where it opens with the science guy going, "E equals m c squared," and so that <laughs> must mean it is it is very funny. Uh, as um, he's,
1: I, I I like to be meta with the scientist character. I think he realizes he's in a script written by two people who know nothing about science <laughs> and he's like a real scientist and he and he's just going absolutely mad being in the right. script right. <laughs> <laughs> like just writing E equals MC squared in the sand and later he tries to escape the <laughs> whole situation he, he, he just goes completely mad for the rest of he his he does, sentences. he
2: really does Uh, But this is a very fun conversation with the doctor, the scientist, and Joe, where the doctor's like, we're in an impossible place, in an impossible world, and nothing should matter, and it shouldn't make sense, but it does. And the doctor, (laughs) the scientist is like, okay, cool, that makes no sense, but I guess we're living in a world where, like, nothing makes sense. And Joe's there the entire time, like, jaw slacked open, be like, huh? 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 Huh?" Like, it's very funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's she's basically me throughout the whole thing. None of this makes any sense, but... (laughs) It's fun. It's silly. It's fun. It's,
2: it's fun, silly sci-fi. Uh, but then we find out that they're getting watched by somebody mysterious as uh, a guy's like, oh my god, I finally caught a Time Lord. Let's go collect him. And he's in like a giant Power Ranger costume with a big shiny glove. He looks very silly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him more next week. Yeah, But basically uh, the script says that Omega's screen should be like a magic mirror. But this is basically just a TV, twenty-three-inch yeah. color television with like cardboard cut around it. <laughs> it looks really terrible. <laughs> they
2: did their best, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, we
1: did. Oh, but um, sorry. One thing about Omega before we move on. Do you recognize his voice? Because he's iconic to us in the show
2: i do not i'm bad at recognizing voices he often. is
1: played by stephen thorn who played as al and the demons ah, our favorite episode
2: yes of course that's an episode <laughs> one of the earliest episodes we ever covered on the podcast and they are yes. like three and a half hours each because <laughs> we chatted a lot of shit back then uh
1: <laughs> I, I can't remember what we even talked about i, ca- I can't imagine filling up a whole Three, three and a half hour scr- <laughs> podcast It makes no sense to me. How did we do it?
2: We were just chatting. I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we went on lots of tangents. Um... But the doctor, we they get like shot at by a bunch of the blobby guys, and they surrender. As we then cut back to the second doctor, and he's like, "Fucking, I'm not going to open the door because we're all going to die." Also, have you seen my recorder? It's gone missing, and I need to think. <laughs> I can only think when I'm when I'm listening to music. Uh, it's a very silly, pointless scene, but it's fun, I guess.
1: Yeah. One of my favourite bits is that um, Benton and the second Doctor just watching the blob outside on the television screen while the Brigadier is in the background completely having a panic attack, (laughs) a midlife crisis. He's just going through all the motions of like, why the fuck am I in here? What's going on? What is this madhouse? Let me out. (laughs) And the Doctor is just completely ignoring him. He
2: is. It's very funny. Uh, we cut very briefly to the do- to John Pertwee and that uh, inside the alien like palace, which is definitely not a set. Definitely very much an alien palace. Uh, and they don't really talk about much of anything. They just basically explain where yeah. they are and we cut away again. Uh, what you're so going to yeah. notice now with these last remaining seven minutes of the episode is that there's no more plot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they are they are just fucking killing time at this point and they they overtly say on two different yeah. occasions we're just wasting time right now aren't we <laughs> like
1: yeah both plots say have characters saying oh yeah this is just a waste of time in, in the next seven minutes it's insane it's like it, yeah but this basically the episode ran short and they were like we need to have a scene where the scientist guy tries to escape, only only to be caught by the end. Yeah. So that's the whole reason why he escapes, and also the whole scene inside of the tardis is just more padding. It's just it's a lot of padding.
2: It is. It's rough. It's really rough. In an
1: in an episode that already feels like. You know, it's just all padding.
2: <laughs> there, there's no plot in this episode at all. There's no. There's really nothing going on.
1: You could easily just skip from part one to part three and just be like, okay, somehow they just got into the base of Omega and yeah.
2: that's all you really miss. <laughs> you could you could literally make it that they got zapped by the antimatter and it made them go into the palace. Yeah. like uh, What
1: would... do you think of a palace, by the way?
2: <laughs> I think it looks really silly. I think is it is really, really it, silly.
1: It looks terrible. Uh, basically, the week after the episode's aired, the Birmingham Post made a cartoon in which Santa Claus was found at the end of this corridor. Right. It just looks like a load of Christmas balls. Yeah, I get that. It's, That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, but the, speaking of wasting time, the second doctor is like taking batteries out on remote for something as Benton comes over and is like, you're wasting time right now. And he's like, yeah, we then cut to the scientist (laughs) and he's like, Hey, I'd really want to waste time right now. If that seems cool with you. I just want to go (laughs) off running around. And John Pertwee's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That is a terrible decision to make. Why would you decide to just run around right now? And then he goes, yeah, you're right. And then runs off anyway. It's hilarious. Uh, you know you're
1: in this like magical land where somehow there's these blobby creatures that can kill you and you're just like yeah i'm just gonna run off now yeah why why would he do that why (laughs) but it gets it
2: gets better he runs off and he gets chased and hunted down by the the blobby guys as the doctor and joe are standing there talking like oh god i can't believe he ran off maybe he'll be in danger maybe he'll all right (laughs) <laughs> then he comes back. He comes back to them and he's like, "Wow, I shouldn't have run off. That was just kind of a waste of time, wasn't it? It's fucking ludicrous. It's insane." <laughs> like,
1: yeah, he runs around for like a solid minute and just comes back like a minute later, just like, "Yeah, I was. A I should. Yeah, I,
2: sh- I shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake." Whoops. Like,
1: like, there's no, there's no, there's not even any kind of tension or anything like. If this was like in any other episode, he he could maybe become mind controlled or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Something interesting could have happened to him.
2: (laughs) Just nothing, nothing happens. Uh, Then we cut back to the second doctor and they're wasting more time in the TARDIS until the first doctor calls and he's like, you need to lower the shields uh, and go out and face this thing. Be smart. And then he fucks yeah. off again. And the doctor's like, oh, well, I trust myself. And he, I said to lower the shields. I'm going to lower the shields. So he lowers the shields. And then we cut to a soldier outside fighting as all the blobbies disappear. And then suddenly the entire house disappears that they're in the entire base. And it gets sucked into a black hole in a hilarious looking image
1: <laughs> uh,
2: as the episode suddenly comes to a conclusion out of yeah. nowhere. It's such an abrupt yeah. ending. Uh, it is not a good also episode.
1: E- It's also a really bad jump cut because one minute the sun... This was shot in the winter, so the sun sets really fast. And the sun just is in completely different positions at both ends of the day. So it's like... (laughs) It's a really terrible jump cut. And also there's a scene where John Pertwee basically explains to the scientist dude that this whole land is just magic. And he does a magic trick. That's actually John Pertwee doing a real-life magic trick. Oh, nice. he, He could do magic tricks. And apparently Katie Manning still has those... Ever flowers in her in her house, which is lovely.
2: Oh, that is nice. Uh, but yeah, what did you think of episode
1: <laughs> t- two? You know, when I was watching this, I, I still had loads of fun. I was still giggling away. But as you know, when, when you're watching it for a podcast, it, it it's a different experience. Yeah. When you're just anal- analyzing it, yeah. And basically, part two. Nothing happens. No, there's no. Part two is just like, oh, yeah, it's just just (laughs) padding. There's nothing happening here. It's not interesting at all.
2: Just constant padding. It is not interesting. Nothing happens. Really, the only stuff that happens is in the second half of episode one uh, Mm -hmm. so far uh, in this four parter, which gives me lots of hope for next week. Um, What did you you think? What's your overall thoughts on both these parts uh, before we wrap up this episode then? What's your your big you know, final it, analysis on this episodes?
1: You know, when I was when I was a kid, I was expecting something so much bigger because this was before Day of the Doctor when I first watched it and the idea of all the doctors coming together was something exciting and I was expecting something so exciting. Mm-hmm. I hated it as a kid. I like it now. Mm-hmm. as a kind of um, it's so bad, it's good kind of way. I enjoy it. I like the little characterization moments where you know the second doctor is interacting with the third doctor, the second doctor is yeah. interacting with the brigadier. All those moments are just wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But as a story, it's just nothing. there's nothing to the story so far.
2: Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. I had never seen this episode. I'd only known about it vaguely, uh, mainly just from clips on YouTube and stuff like that, when people were talking, like, oh, yeah, all the doctors met up like way back here, and this is what it was like. Um, experiencing it i'm having a fun time going through it like it's a it's it's very dumb it's very silly but it's mm. it, it's entertaining it is just when you do stop and be like wait what's going on right now the answer yeah. is nothing <laughs> the answer is nothing is going on right now it is completely <laughs> a waste of your own time but it's fun it's a
1: fun lighthearted hearted yeah, it, watch it's kind of the opposite to what power of Doctor was just last week where <laughs> Everything seems to be happening at once, but nothing is happening. Whereas but it was still fun. Nothing, Both of them are yeah. fun. <laughs> Both of them are still fun. I'm still having a fun time with the three Doctors. I'm enjoying it more than I did as a kid. And you know, it's, it's it's something that's important to watch as a bit of Doctor of history because it's, it's set the foundations of what a multi-Doctor story should be. They should bicker. We should All this stuff should happen in a multi-Doctor story. And it's kind of important in that way, but if you want to watch this episode, set your expectations low, and yeah. you'll probably have so much more fun with it, I would yeah, say. Yeah,
2: definitely, definitely, I agree with that. Uh, but you could send us your thoughts on the Three Doctors special if you email us at pod at gmail.com, or just leave a comment on the YouTube video, or wherever, Just we will find it. We will read it out at the end of the month in our monthly news podcast and answer any questions that you've got regarding it as well. Uh, What are we doing next week, Scott? I bet I could guess.
1: (laughs) Can you guess? No. We're doing the next next half of The Three Doctors. Oh my
2: God, I'm shocked. And
1: Uh, then the week after that, it's the news. And we are getting quite a bit of news. Uh, So far, The Doctor Who Magazine hasn't dropped. No. Apparently, it contains a lot of information, oh, so oh, we're oh. going to be talking about that at the am end of the
2: month. so excited to read that magazine. It is yeah. unbelievable. Um, but, yes, you could find us on Facebook at Who Watches Who, on Twitter at Watches Doctor, on YouTube at Who Watches Who. Uh, we've got a new URL, youtube.com slash at Who Watches Who. Very fancy. Uh, Who Watches Who pod. At Who Watches Who pod. Fuck me. Almost fucked that up. YouTube.com slash at Who Watches Who pod. There we go. Uh, on Facebook... At- Yes, at, it's at Who Watches who pod, YouTube.com okay. slash at Who Watches who They've got new, like it's YouTube's new fucking username thing they're rolling out it's weird I, it makes it a really weird looking <laughs> url but it does take you directly to the channel uh, the podcast is also available wherever you listen to podcasts in audio form there's a bunch of links in the description you can follow me on twitter at cloth223 you can follow me on twitch at something something orange you can you know follow the stuff i do at massyoutubecom youtube.com slash YouTube. i'm all over the place uh but until then we will see you next week with the final two parts of the three doctors Bye!